welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams. I'm an incoming medicine intern in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Tony Brew, an internist and hospitalist in the greater Boston area. And I'm Avi Cooper, a pulmonary critical care physician in Columbus, Ohio. So today on the podcast, we're asking the question, why is cancer a hypercoagulable state? Along the way, we're going to hear from both Virkow and Bill Roth, and we'll also necessarily discuss the coagulation cascade, though don't worry, no one would be asked to recite it from memory. Please, no, no, but anything <laughs> but that. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Tony, you posted a tweetorial that asked this question way back in September of 2018. What made you look into it? So this question strikes me as something uh, that is a good example of um, a statement that's posed on rounds or or even earlier during medical school. And I never really questioned what was meant by it and what the mechanism uh, for it was. And so I felt like it was a perfect thing to kind of explore a little bit on Twitter, um, post it, like you said, back in September of 2018. And I kind of wanted to revisit it for the podcast because it was one of my more favorite uh, subjects that I've researched. I have to agree, Tony. I've been walking around blissfully ignorant to why this happens. <laughs> yeah, it, th- there's, a, there's a lot to it. Um, and I think in the time that we have, we'll try to summarize kind of the, the, the key points or at least some of the key hypotheses. So it might, feel, it might be helpful to hear more about the risk of uh, venous thromboembolism and clots that cancer brings with it. So Tony, how powerful is the risk? Um, and you know, is it spread across all cancer types equally or different cancer types uh, more so than others? Yeah, this is one of those things that um, it's been noticed since like the mid-1800s. I think many of us have heard the, the story of Armand Trousseau, who was a French physician who diagnosed himself with gastric cancer because he noticed uh, migratory thrombophlebitis. And he had, previous to that, um, noted that patients he, he cared for who had cancer had a predisposition for um, for clotting. So this is something that w- that's been noticed for you know over 150 years, um, and the risk that is attributable to attributable to the cancer is probably on the order of uh, you know 10 plus times the risk uh, of the general population, right? So um, if you're a patient who has an active cancer, your absolute risk for having a VTE is around one to eight percent per year. And if you compare that to the general population, uh, if you're looking at people who are slightly on the younger side, right, so less than 45, it's like one in 10,000 annually. And people who are older, it's about five or so per thousand, right? So significantly less than, than the you know one to eight percent for patients who have cancer. So if you look at just epi- epidemiologically, there's undoubtedly an increased risk. And that risk is not um, the same across all cancer types. So, you know, the the cancer that I have always thought about as being the most risky is pancreatic cancer and other GI cancers like gastric cancer that Trousseau had, uh, those are also increased risk. Uh, and brain is is probably another one that people often ascribe as having an increased risk uh, of, of VTE. And I think one thing that's helpful as we kind of talk about this topic is the term cancer um, in some ways isn't helpful, right? Like, oh, why is cancer hypercoagulable? It's kind of like asking, you know, why does an infection make you sick? Well, infection is not a particularly helpful term. There's a big difference between um, Staph aureus endocarditis and Epstein-Barr virus and toxoplasma, right? They're all called infections, but they're all very, very different in their pathophysiology. And to some extent, it's the same for cancer, right? 
not every cancer that predisposes for VTE is going to do it in the same way. So, you know, when I looked this up, I found some things that maybe crossed cancer types, but there's no like one unifying like, aha, this, this explains it all. And so for the listeners, you know, if they're like, well, they didn't cover this or they didn't talk about this, it's whatever it is that you may be thinking about, undoubtedly it may have a role, but you know, we can't obviously talk about everything. If Hannah might try, uh, given her interest, (laughs) but we'll have to cut it off at some point. We can't just talk about clotting all day. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you can. Well, you know, okay, kind of going off of that, though, like if you woke me up in the middle of the night and you said increased risk of clotting, I would immediately spout off Virchow's triad, right? So do, Vir- do patients with cancer, do they have increased risk of VTE because they're hypercoagulable or is it other parts of the triad, the endothelial cell injury and stasis that also come into play? I mean, it's, it's almost certainly um, all of the above. Um, I mean, patients who have um, cancer um, may be debilitated and less active and so be predisposed to stasis. Some cancers themselves can uh, lead to a hyperviscosity syndrome like Waldenstrom's um, or the leukemias with really high white counts. And so those might lead to stasis and the increased risk of, of clotting. And then I think we all know cancer is an inflammatory state, and what, what comes with inflammatory states is endothelial injury, and so that's the second leg of Virchow. But when I think about rounds or when I think about what, how like this is put together, cancer is blank. It's almost always cancer is a hypercoagulable state, right, that third leg of the, of the Virchow's triad. And so that's the one that I kind of find most interesting. So what did you find? Why, why is cancer such a hypercoagulable state? Uh, so we'll probably keep repeating this, but it's like a whole lot of everything, (laughs) right? So there's probably increased thrombus formation. There's probably decreased clot lysis. And then within the coagulation cascade, the thing that comes up over and over and over again is factor three. I only learned this like very, very recently, but factor three, the other name for it is tissue factor. Um, and that is probably, um, probably plays a role in uh, the increased risk of VT across many cancer types. So why? What's the important part of tissue factor? So I think we kind of promised everyone we wouldn't go into the coagulation cascade in in (laughs) any detail, but um, it's probably helpful to remember that tissue factor is part of the extrinsic pathway. Um, And the way I remember that is um, intrinsic pathway are all the factors that are intrinsic to the blood. They just hang out in the blood. Um, And then the extrinsic pathway are things that you kind of got to do something to get access to them. So tissue factor, which is the first part of this extrinsic pathway, is expressed on the adventitial fibroblasts. And so if, if you remember, like, you know, close your eyes and think about a cross-section of a vessel wall, right, there's intima, media, and adventitia. So adventitia being the furthest away from the lumen, right? So if, if the f- tissue factor is sitting on that adventitia, you kind of have to dig deep into there to get access to it. Right. And so the idea is if you have endothelial injury and you get down to that level, you get the tissue factor, that vessel is going to be interested in clotting to prevent, you know, additional injury, right? Or bleeding through that wall. Um, so what tissue factor does is it helps to activate factor seven in this extrinsic pathway and then just, you know, turn coagulation on. So that's kind of like, you know, 30,000 foot view what tissue factor is. 
And what's interesting is that if you look at tissue factor levels, the expression of it is really high in some kinds of cancers. Pancreatic cancer, I think, is the classic one you'll read about. Um, and if you look even within pancreatic cancer, right, patients who have pancreatic cancer and who have had a VTE, right, so a DVT or a PE, about 26% of them had, at least in one study, a high expression of this tissue factor. I should, let me put it another way. 26% had high expression, and those patients had VTE. 4% had low expression, and they did not have VTE. Long story short, if you make a lot of tissue factor as a pancreatic cancer, you're at increased risk for having VTE. And the only other thing I'll say about tissue factor is that um, not only can it be expressed by cancers in its like usual form, um, it, they can also secrete these sort of microparticles, which are, I think, like basically like truncated f- forms of, of tissue factor. And they, too, floating around in the body, increase the risk of, of VTE. So tissue factor just came up over and over and over again as one of the sort of the leading drivers of clot in these patients. And I was really interested to to read that um, there's a kind of an active area of research going on looking at tissue factor as a tumor marker for certain cancers and maybe even a potential immunotarget for therapy in the future. It didn't seem like any of that uh, that stuff was ready for prime time, but certainly people are looking at it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard of anything. I don't know, Hen, if that's come up on any of your rotations, like targeted therapies for tissue factor. I haven't come across it. Uh, no, I, I definitely have not had very many in-depth conversations about tissue factor in my life prior to, to this one. <laughs> but so I, that can't on be that true. Note. I, think, I think that makes, I think that makes three of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Taking a step back in light of that and the fact that I would imagine much of our audience is on the same foot, let's kind of recap what we've learned so far. So, Patients who have cancer are more likely to clot. So most famously, Dr. Trousseau, who perhaps knew Dr. Shamroth in terms of identifying physical exam findings in themselves. But so these patients are more likely to have VTE. And it's for several reasons, both kind of this quote unquote hypercoagulability, but then also the other elements of Virchow's triad. And then one of the big kind of elements that we see come up, it seems like mostly in patients with solid tumors that we've talked about, has been tissue factor as um, sort of this driver and also an indicator for increased VTE risk in these patients. And tissue factor being factor three or part of the coagulation cascade that activates the extrinsic pathway. Did I... This is my first tissue factor conversation. (laughs) Anything else we wanted to to cover? (laughs) I think that's perfect. (laughs) All right. So I will say, um, and for the audience, I'll just spoil here that in case it's not clear from the conversation, I'm hoping to become a hematologist someday. And so I get really excited about clots. And, uh, you know, as as you guys know, platelets are my favorite formed element of the blood. Uh, Oh, we all know that. The question that... (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I think this has come up on the podcast several times now, but never actually made it to air. And so the one question that came up for me here is, right, it, it takes three to clot. Two sort of takes three to clot because you need the platelet and then you need the wall and then you can deal with the factors, right? And so I was kind of wondering how platelets came into play here if, if they were involved at all. And when I looked it up, the first question that you might ask to answer that question would be, okay, in patients with cancer, 
are their increased markers for platelet function. So von Willebrand factor and P-selectin are two markers that we can use for that. And the answer is yes. Those are increased in patients with cancer relative to those who don't have cancer. And they're worse in advanced stages with cancer, stages of cancer. And in patients with elevated levels of von Willebrand factor, they're more likely to have VTE. So that's that's kind of like I saw handprints at the crime scene, and now I know that platelets were there. <laughs> that that tells us there's probably platelets around. I've been watching a lot of Tiger King. Uh, but a second question. <laughs> A second question, right, to kind of follow up on that would be, all right, what if we eliminated all of the other suspects? What if we eliminated tissue factor as a suspect? If the other hypotheses that we have for why cancer might cause hypercoagulability go away, are these patients still more likely to clot? And that, I thought, was a really interesting question that I found a study that addressed. In two, there's, So there's two types of patients where you could kind of think about the rest of the factors going away. One would be patients who have had their tumors resected, so those abnormal leaky pieces of vasculature with the endothelial cell injury would hypothetically be gone. And the other is in patients who are long-term survivors of cancer. So hypothetically, these patients are in long-term remission. They don't have an active tumor. And these patients are still hypercoagulable. So one study did rotational thromboelastometry, which is, just say that 10 times fast, or rotum, if you've heard of it on pre and post samples of blood samples of patients who had had tumors resected. And they found that specifically the marker of platelet function within the clot was increased. And that was true after surgery, after the wounds had healed. And then in long-term cancer survivors, we think about, so first of all, von Willebrand factor, that platelet marker is increased long-term, but kind of more commonly just going to what all of us have seen in these patients is that they're much more prone to thrombosis. So you have a lifetime increase in thrombosis risk and in coronary artery disease that is most likely a result of not just the vasculature of that tumor that's gone, but something else in the blood potentially kind of associated with platelets based on those markers. What's interesting about that is that um... I, I don't typically think of patients with cancer as being at increased risk for, you know, coronary artery disease and um, arterial thrombosis like, uh, you know, like in CAD, right, um, or in PAD. And so I don't know when you were looking this up, am I wrong in um, not having seen that before? Like are patients with cancer at increased risk for what we classically think about as platelet problems, although obviously the overlap is tremendous. Yeah. Well, you know, so I kind of in looking into this was approaching it from that angle. I will say one of the key kind of confounding factors there is a history of chest wall radiation. Yes. Um, for many of these patients. Yep. And the effect was seen across several types of tissue, but it's just something to think about that that may be another reason to think about coronary artery disease in young adult long-term survivor cancer survivors. Absolutely, yep. And I think also like something like the esophageal malignancy, you know, some of those may be smokers and things like that, which could, yeah. you know, confound our, um, that kind of thrombotic risk, you'd think. For sure. Or it could be the platelets. <laughs> or the platelets. So, so what we've talked about so far really kind of addresses the how, but not really the why. So, you know, if cancer could talk to us, and it would say to clot or not to clot. <laughs> um, you know, what's in it for the cancer? Why clot? Yeah. 
<laughs> Hopefully cancer's not talking to us. Um, That's such a great question. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it, it's an important one. Like what's, what is in it for cancer? Like what's, what's the, like why make all this tissue factor, um, or these other prothrombotic factors? And, you know, we'll go back to the 1800s again, um, this time, uh, Bill Roth and, you know, he looked at, um, uh, tumor cells. And he noticed that many of them, uh, were basically surrounded by fibrin. And I think he postulated, although the, the hypothesis might've come later, that this sort of fibrin was, uh, you know, sort of surrounding was protecting the tumor from the immune system and allowing it to basically evade destruction, metastasize, you know, do all the things that, um, a tumor anthropomorphically would want to do. Um, and, Interestingly, this has been taken advantage of in the setting of clinical trials. So one example in the early uh, 80s, uh, there was a randomized trial of warfarin for the treatment of small cell lung cancer. And they chose small cell lung cancer because that's a, a type of cancer that is uh, you know makes a lot of fibrin, right? So it really kind of tested this hypothesis. Um, and the median survival, uh, in the warfarin arm was 50 weeks and the median survival in the control arm was 24 weeks. Um, so a pretty dramatic difference. Um, and you know, the, again, this trial wasn't done, uh, to specifically prevent VT. It was done as an anti-tumor uh, trial. The results haven't really been validated in subsequent trials and, you know, certainly, you know, we don't treat cancer, um, or I should say, I haven't seen cancer treated specifically with, uh, antithrombotic therapies like warfarin or, or heparin. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that, that people have taken this idea and attempted to test it in the setting of the clinical trial and in at least one time, um, you know, found a positive study. And I'll offer one other cool study that I found that didn't make it into the tutorial, but kind of helped to make this point. And, what this one did is it looked at what happened to patients who had idiopathic uh, VTE, right? And the original intent of the randomized control trial was to give either six months of anticoagulation or six weeks, right? So that, that was the original intent. And when they did an, a different analysis and said, okay, let's look to see what happened in terms of risk of future cancer in these patients, um, they found a protective effect of the anticoagulation, the longer-term anticoagulation, right? So again, the original trial was we're going to treat idiopathic VTE, so they weren't known to have cancer, and we're going to see what happens. Do they have recurrent VTE? And this study that was published was as an attempt to see, well, maybe if you give them anticoagulation for a longer period of time, you, quote-unquote, prevent um, cancer. And what they found was the rates were 16% in the patients who got six weeks of anticoagulation and 10% in the patients who got six months. So again, a lower risk of cancer in the patients who got treated for a longer period of time. And that's, I don't know, that's kind of cool. Um, so is, and, the theory yeah, that, that, is the theory that the, the fibrin acts like a force field against the immune system, essentially, that you're breaking up that force field? I, I don't think it's using a... F- <laughs> I don't know that there's a force field. No, was, no. Yeah, some kind of a protective sheath. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're using the, a force field of some sort. I keep picturing Star yeah, Wars. And the, yeah. the host tissue looks at the tumor and goes like, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably something like that. And they have a lightsaber duel, which is actually just radiotherapy. Anyway. Yeah, so, you know, so, I think the key thing here is that, you know, we don't use um, anticoagulants as anti-tumor um, therapies. Not that I'm aware of. I'm not an, uh, a treating oncologist. But you know, there's at least some evidence out there that there is some anti-tumor properties of some of these anticoagulants. I mean, Hannah, with your like infinite amount of free time, like I feel like there's a there's a study here, right, where you look back at the patients on immunotherapy that either were or were not on anticoagulants, and you see, you know, did they? Oh did man! They but if COVID has taught me anything, it's the value, the ultimate value of a well done RCT. <laughs> and so, as you say that, I'm like, well, that's the, but that's also but the amazing thing. Just even, but you, you know, you look at this one that I mentioned on you know warfarin, fifty weeks of survival versus twenty four. It's incredible. But yeah. that was one study, and they weren't. Best I can tell, it wasn't reproducible. So, you know, even hmm. good randomized trials um, sometimes can uh, you know push you in, in a direction that's not necessarily necessarily consistent with the truth. Hmm. Yeah. So kind of in all of this, did you find any interesting random non sequiturs that you did that kind of didn't make it into the script? Yeah. So one was the study I just mentioned, and um, I'll mention two other sort of brief things. Um, So one is that, uh, you know, this increased risk of of clot formation extends to like the venous side with like venous thromboembolism extends not just there, but also to the heart, right? So this non-bacterial thrombotic endocarditis, NTBE, you basically just clot. Um, there's also an increased risk of that having uh, happen in patients who have cancer. I'm suggesting that this, you know, hypercoagulable state extends beyond just the, the venous system. And the other thing that I found really interesting is that there's a correlation between um, low PTT and risk of VTE. Right. So in all my time, like I only looked at PTTs to see if they were high. Right. Um, and it turns out if you have a low PTT, um, meaning like you're going really, really fast through the coagulation cascade, um, that is an increased risk of, uh, or it is associated with an increased risk of, of, uh, VT. Um, that's true in non-cancer patients. It's been studied less in, in patients who have cancer, but um, it has been shown to be um, um, uh, at increased risk in patients who have catheter-related VTE from in cancer. Um, so, you know, just you know, for the for the listeners who are looking at their PTTs every day and they ever see one that's low, um, you know, just ask yourself, you know, why is it low? And you know, if the patient's admitted with with a you know DVT or PE, it's possible that that was a clue. Well, Tony, that was all really fascinating, and certainly, um, you know, I learned a lot um, about um, about the clotting and cancer that I had, you know, never never really learned before. Do you mind giving us your take home points? Absolutely. So I have a couple, and then I am sure that uh, Hannah has uh, at least one about platelets uh, <laughs> that she'll have to share. Um, so I, you know, I think getting back to Hannah's question about you know Vercal, I think the the risk of VTE in patients who have cancer is un- undoubtedly hyper or undoubtedly multifactorial. Probably includes all three legs of Vercal's triad. Um, specifically related to the hypercoagulable state, state itself. Um, you know, tissue factor is one of the leading hypotheses, uh, specifically an increased amount of tissue factor. And that, re- that connection is probably strongest for uh, pancreatic cancer. 
Um, and then, you know, thinking about that question that Avi asked of like, what's in it for the cancer? Like, why are they doing this? Uh, it may be that, um, creating a thrombus is an attempt to evade the immune system, allow it to metastasize or just allow it to like remain present at all. Um, and I think those are probably the the key things. Hannah, what, hey, what about you? Yeah, I think would just add that, right. It is so multifactorial. It's a terrible pun, um, <laughs> but don't don't forget to think about kind of one of my takeaways was don't forget to think about the long term risk in all of this and that right there's so many different things going on so just controlling the tumor just being in remission doesn't necessarily mean that you've fixed the hypercoagulability that these patients may have long term. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Curious clinicians, if you have an interesting tutorial or online meta teaching point that you think that we should feature on the show, please tag us on Twitter. I'm at Hannah R. Abrams. I'm at Avraham Cooper, MD. And uh, I'm at Tony underscore Brew. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. As a reminder, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute medical advice. Curious clinicians are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer continuing education and ABIM maintenance of certification credits for physicians. Tap the link in the show notes or visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curious clinicians for more information.